Welcome to Season 5, Episode 5 of Fire Away, Revenue Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer and mediator, and I'll be your host of this episode of Fire Away. A reminder, Fire Away streams live online every month, and if you miss an episode or want to watch one again, they're always available on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, LinkedIn, and on our website. Today, I am very excited to be joined by Lauren McDonald. For decades, Lauren McDonald has demonstrated leadership, passion, and commitment to accessibility and inclusion in her volunteer and professional activities, all informed by her lived experience as a woman born with profound hearing loss. Recognized as one of Canada's disability leaders, Lauren has made many aware of the challenges faced by Canadians with disabilities during COVID-19, in addition to her human rights and accessibility presentations. More importantly, I am quite happy and proud to call Lauren my friend. She's someone I've known and admired for many, many years. So Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. Great, Stuart, thank you so much. I'm delighted to join you. I think it's gonna be a great conversation. And, and before I get to that, I do have to say, I'm not the only one who admires Lauren's work and I'm not going to list all of her awards. I understand there are more than, uh, than 20 of them. Um, but I will note that for three consecutive years, Lauren has been nominated for Canadian Lawyers' tw Top 25 Most Influential Lawyers, and she was named to that list in 2021. The jury is still out for 2022. Last year, Lauren was uh, included in the Women's Executive Network list as one of Canada's most powerful women, the Top 100. Last month, the Law Society of Ontario bestowed upon Lauren the Law Society Medal, which is its highest honour for outstanding service in recognizing her work to make the profession more accessible and inclusive. And most recently, at least I think it's most recent, uh, it was announced that Lauren will be inducted into the Canadian Disability Hall of Fame. Uh, so no question that she is an expert and has some tremendous advice, which I've heard much of over the years. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. We're gonna focus on the employment law context, of course, um, but we spend a lot of time talking about the duty to accommodate, when the duty to when the duty arises, how far it goes, what does undue hardship really mean? Uh, and we talked about the process, uh, and we the case law has made it pretty clear that the duty to accommodate is substantive and also procedural. But the reality is, and I see this almost day in and day out, many people assume that they won't be accommodated the way they should be, and and frankly, many employers, especially small mid-sized businesses are terrified of what accommodation might mean because they don't really know, they don't really know what it means, but they're scared to find out. So Lauren, I will uh, turn this over to you. I guess what I'd like to start with um, is what advice you might have for someone with a disability who is starting their job search. Well, I think um, wherever you want to work, you want to, as a person with a disability, check out the, the firm, look at their website, see what their uh, stated uh, commitment is to equity, diversity, and inclusion. Uh, some websites will highlight employees with disabilities and what they've done. So you get a sense of the culture um, that may be present in that firm. Talk to people who already work at the company that you're interested in working with and, uh, and just um, check out the the job posting as well. When you are searching, 
some employers are better at creating job postings that are very welcoming by saying, we're committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion. Please let us know if you have accommodation requests um, right from the very beginning. And so that is a very powerful statement for someone who's looking for work that this is an employer that gets it. And so picking up on that, of course, in Ontario, under the AODA, you're required to accommodate in the application process and to make that uh, availability of accommodation known. So what, what would you recommend? Because I know a lot of people come to us and say that they don't want to mention anything because they're scared that they're not going to be given a fair chance. How do you advise people in that situation? Well, and it's a personal choice. You know, some people um, living with disabilities are not comfortable disclosing if it is an invisible disability until they have a better sense of the impact that disability may or may not have in the, in the job itself. And of course, you're not obligated to disclose if your disability is going to have no impact whatsoever for others the um, disability is visible. And so it's kind of out there uh, from, the, from the very start. And also you get a sense, once you're in an interview, you wanna see how it's going to flow, whether you feel there is a safe space within that interview to talk about your disability, or you might want to keep your cards kind of close to your chest and not say anything. It's uh, very much uh, a personal choice. And then uh, I'll, I'll turn the tables and ask the question from the other perspective. I know, and we speak to a lot of smaller and, and mid-sized businesses. And, and like I mentioned in the intro, they're often just scared of, of, of what the duty to accommodate might mean and the cost that might involve. So. What, what would your advice be to those you know, small business owners uh, when they're in a situation where let's say someone who applies for a job does disclose that they need accommodation? Yeah, and um, you know what? There's a, a huge um, myth out there that accommodations are very expensive and 80% uh, of accommodation costs $500 or less. Most cost nothing because it could be as simple as um, timing you know, maybe that person who is interested in working with you needs to come in later or have breaks throughout the day or what have you. So that's not expensive at all. Or it could be some um, job sharing in that if one particular task is difficult for the person with a disability, they swap with someone with whom that's not difficult and take on a different task. Again, it, it's not expensive or, or and that costs uh, nothing. And so it's more about being creative in your solution and really having the conversation to, uh, because everyone is an individual and accommodation is not a one and done. And um, you need to listen to what the employee needs and really it's a back and forth um, conversation. Yeah, I think that you made a bunch of really good points there. And the last one I'll pick up on, because I make this point all the time, the accommodation process is a process. It is supposed to be a dialogue or a two-way street. And for the individual who is seeking accommodation, it's important that they understand that they are going to be expected to provide sufficient information so that the employer can understand why there is need and what needs to be accommodated. And then their job is to go and assess how they can accommodate. But 
it's not, as you put it, a one and done. Um, and employees need to be prepared to participate in that process, as, as do employers. Um, but also, I think a lot of people are surprised that the employer doesn't have to give them their preferred form of accommodation. Uh, and we often see this where a doctor might put something on a note saying, you know, they need to be accommodated with X, Y, and Z. And then the employer might come back and say, we will accommodate you, but we're going to do it in a different way. And I think a lot of people are surprised that they're, they're able to do that and still meet their duty. And I don't know if you've seen that experience or have any thoughts on that. Well, the, the term is reasonable accommodation. Uh, reasonable doesn't mean your preferred accommodation. And so in some instances, an employer might think that an accommodation is reasonable, but may also have the back of their mind, what is the cheapest mm -hmm. in making that uh, decision where the employee can come back and say, I've requested this particular accommodation as being reasonable for me because of these reasons. This is why your proposed accommodation is not reasonable. For me, it will not allow me to achieve uh, my best as your employee. And then that conversation, that back and forth needs to happen. Yeah, and that's exactly why we keep saying this is a dialogue and a process. Um, and so we've kind of talked a bit about this, but in terms of the process, I was, I was hoping to give a, a sort of a real life example. You know, if you have an employee who has a disability, and I'll, I'll let you choose what kind, you know, how, how would you, in, in the ideal world, how would you see this process playing out? So for example, you may have an employee who, a new employee who is a wheelchair user. And, uh, but the office for that wheelchair user, new employee would be located on the second floor. The premises don't have an elevator. So what is the solution in that case? And it seems to be very simple to have that employee located on the first floor if it is possible um, as an accommodation because of course to require an employer to install an elevator could reach the point of undue hardship. And so again, it's a give and take if the employer to particularly need to think outside the box and not get locked into that we've always done it this way mentality and be creative. Yeah, you, you took one of my examples I was going to use uh, later in my ranch, which is we've always done it that way, or we can't change. And that's, that's often the answer we get, or it's just it's going to be way too expensive. So we can't do that. Uh, and this is a conversation we always have with our clients when they say, Oh, we can't, it's impossible. Let's say, well, first of all, it's probably not impossible, but perhaps it will be undue hardship. But you're going to have to go through the analysis. You're going to have to document that. And you're going to have to be prepared to show to a court or to a tribunal why there was going to be undue hardship. So what the costs would be. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of employers, you know, like you said before, are surprised that the costs may not be that significant once they go through it. Uh, and to, you know, I'll, take, I'll pick up on your example, you know, because I've seen this play out, especially through COVID, where the individual in the wheelchair says, well, why don't you accommodate me by letting me work from home? So that's their preferred form of accommodation. But for whatever reason, 
the employer may not want them to be working remotely, but in your case, they can say, well, we have room on the first floor. You can work there. Uh, or we have another location. You can work there. But there are lots of different ways to accommodate. And, and again, it's not the employee's preferred choice, but as you said, it, it's got to be reasonable. Yeah. And so, I, sorry, just to add to that, not only does it have to be reasonable, but I have to respect the dignity of the employee. And so and that's I, important yeah. as well. Yeah, I, I guess I, in my world, I assume that reasonable includes that, but I think that's a really important point to make because uh, not everyone understands that. Um, so I think that's important. And I wanted to turn and talk about, you know, how COVID has changed things. You know, obviously we now have a lot of remote work, a lot of hybrid work. And what have you seen in terms of the impact on, on a need for or forms of accommodation? Well, and it, it's very interesting because for years, uh, employer employees with disabilities have requested the ability to work from home, flexible time, all of that, and were, were repeatedly told, no, it can't be done. We have to have you on site. The minute COVID hit and the larger um, employment and larger workplace population needed to transition to working from home, how quickly did that happen? Turned on a dime, turned mm -hmm. on a dime. So now that we're transitioning to what is the return to the workplace going to look like? I'm hearing that there's a lot of hybrid models that will be proposed and more of a three days a week in the office kind of uh, mandate. But we need to be careful that we don't keep employers with disabilities offsite remote to remove the problem of trying to accommodate. Yeah, and I think that's going to become the issue because I, I think you're you're right. You know, I said, oh, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it until they had to, and all of a sudden they could. Um, but now, as you said, you want to avoid having a, a you know a two class system really, where you've got some people who are completely isolated from the rest of their their team or their department. Yeah, because the thing is, as well, Stuart, a lot of opportunities in the workplace happen through social interaction. Mm -hmm. And it's the informal meeting in the, in the break room, around the water cooler kind of thing. So if people with disabilities are encouraged to continue working remotely, if it's been effective, they miss out on those social interactions of, oh, hey, I just got a new client. I could use your help on this. And that's not, that's not healthy for morale of the workplace as a whole. You're missing out on the perspective and we need to avoid that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, going back to the accommodation process, let, let's say that someone puts in a request for accommodation and, and they provide reasonable or sufficient information, but the employer just says, no, we've never done it that way or it's too expensive and that's it. You know, what do you tell the individual to do then? Well, the, in, in that scenario, the employer obviously doesn't quite understand what the request for accommodation and medical documentation looks like because there is no requirement that there be full disclosure. The disability doesn't need to be named or anything like that. It all relates to how can this employee work, uh, do the task given their disability, what accommodation would they require? At no time 
should there be a medical diagnosis or a name attached to what the disability is of the individual out of respect for privacy and the dignity of the person. Yeah, we always tell people that, you know, the disability is not the focus. It's the impact on their ability to carry out their duties. That's what you're focusing on. Uh, but so what should, you know, if someone does request accommodation and the employer refuses, then what's the next step? Um, I'm sorry, if the employee refuses or the employer? Oh, if the employer refuses. Okay. Um, then you have to see if there an ally within the workplace. Um, one would think that the HR department would be an ally to get involved. Now, if the HR department is the one that's refusing uh, the accommodation, then you have to try to continue to have a dialogue. And if you as the employee don't feel comfortable, there needs to be an ally within the workplace. For example, if it's unionized, then a union rep could go in and, and have a conversation. But really it's about unpacking the reason for the denial or the lack of understanding and uh, correcting any misconceptions because that often happens and again it's about keeping the dialogue open making sure that there's a safe space to ask the question because as you know in legal practice it's not always a safe space at law firm to uh, challenge decision and uh, so but again every case is, is individual and uh, so that would be my overall view of that okay and then if you've gone through that process you've made your good faith efforts and you're still not getting anywhere as far as being accommodated i mean i, I know obviously i know you can go to the human rights tribunal but what what's i, I guess I'm, I'm wondering about your thoughts as to what the best strategy would be for someone who has simply been told we're not going to accommodate. I'm I'm a big fan of calling in as opposed to calling out um, and continue to work because I'm not a big fan of uh, putting something on Twitter or going to the media or anything like that because that just creates a, um, a potential for a relationship to go sour, which is not what you want. Uh, a Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario right now, tremendously backlogged nearly a 9,000 cases backlogged last I heard. So I don't recommend that for potential clients because they're not going to get a quick resolution. And so again, I just say to try and, and get your allies within the workplace um, and, and see if there's some way that can, it can be done. And um, it's tricky, but I would also say that I believe that that is an extreme minority where you would have an employer saying, absolutely not, we're not doing any accommodation for you. Um, that would be rare, in my view. Yeah, I, I hope you're right. I like to think that you're right. But uh, obviously, given what I do, we, we do see those situations. Uh, and, and you're right, though, a lot of times, it's just a matter of education. Uh, and hopefully, you can get things on track. And obviously, we work with a lot of individuals who are not being accommodated. And usually, when you make sure the employer understands what their obligations are, then they will comply, a threat, especially if they're threatened with a claim to the tribunal or, or to the courts. Well, um, and it, all, it all takes place. The conversation also has to be contextual. You know, does the employee probably perhaps have difficulty articulating what their needs are? Um, is the employee maybe having difficulty um, understanding what the employer is saying? 
And is there someone who could be engaged to facilitate the conversation? And that could be helpful too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, any kind of litigation or even threat of litigation should be the last step. Uh, so hopefully you can work without around that and, and find an ally or get the conversation going. Uh, hopefully I'm not going to put you on the spot here, but I'm curious as to what are the, the most common mistakes that you see being made on either side of, of the discussion? Um, so from employers or employees? Uh, common mistake. Um, I think there's just a lot of myths that abound about hiring people with disabilities that it's going to be too much trouble. They're going to be sick a lot. They're going to leave. Um, the accommodation is going to be too expensive. And those are blanket statements that are not appropriate. And it's all about setting up an employee to succeed, not to fail. And the other common mistake I see is that employers don't initiate the um, accommodation process right at the very beginning with the job posting, then with the request for an interview, do we require any accommodation within the interview itself and throughout the onboarding process, employers might think, oh, this only happens when the employee has been hired. Not mm -hmm. true. Yeah, I think that's a common one is this view that you don't have a duty to accommodate until they are your employee. Um, so we've been doing our best to, to make sure people understand that. So before, uh, before I take my opportunity to fire away, I was wondering, Lauren, if you have any final words of wisdom. Um, I don't know about wisdom. Um, I don't give advice or anything like that. I'm certainly not an expert, but it's it just mostly, it's about if you're wanting to engage, do so in a way that's authentic. Listen, that's the most important thing. Employers need to listen to employees and vice versa. It's a two-way street. And if you both come into it with the goal of, I want this employee to do my best. The employee wants to be accommodated so they can do the best by the employer. Just listen. It's really the biggest thing. And be open-minded. Great. That's, that's really helpful. Thank you, Lauren. And, and actually, before I go to my opportunity to fire away, Rob, I think you said that we had a question. Right, thanks. Yeah, so, so basically the question, and we do see a lot of this, is where there's allegations of harassment and requests often for accommodation on the basis of workplace stress. Uh, and I think the follow-up to the question was essentially, you know, the accommodation sought is that they be removed from any scenario that could cause workplace stress, essentially. And, and obviously the question was written from a perspective of, uh, of cynicism, if I can put it that way. So I know we deal with this a lot and we deal with it from both sides. We have employees who are genuinely in situations where, for example, their managers are abusive or harassing or bullying them and it causes them substantial stress and anxiety. And what the doctor has said is, you know, the only way that you can go back to work is if you are removed from that situation. Uh, but I've also dealt with this from the employer perspective where they get a note like this out of nowhere and they don't know what to do with this individual. And um, I mean, Lauren, I guess I'll, I'll ask you if you have any thoughts. If you were an employer, 
and they receive a note like that, you know, would you have any suggestions as to how to, how to handle that? Uh, it, it's such a difficult question because it all, like I said before, it, it, it's individualized accommodation and you need to be um, very mindful of privacy and respect. And so I, I don't really have anything more to add to what you've said. And it's, it's very difficult to just give out a pronouncement of, okay, this is what you need to do, because unfortunately, humans are not that easy. I was hoping that uh, you had a better answer than I did, but it really is context specific. And, and there are legitimate reasons why an individual can be seeking that accommodation. And there are also situations where I think the individual is looking, you know, sometimes it seems like they're looking for some sort of severance package and they're trying to find any leverage they can. But this gets back to one thing that, you know, Laura and you and I have said a few times, it's got to be a dialogue. So you don't just get the letter or the request and have to act. You are entitled to push for more information as long as you're pushing for information that's relevant. So thank you for the question. And now I will, uh, I will take my opportunity to fire away in this, um, no, before I do, I'll, I'll pause. I'll take my opportunity to fire away now. So I did want to talk about a topic that arose during uh, during episode five, season five of Fire Away, when I discussed with Lauren McDonald the issues about accommodation in the workplace. And as Lauren repeated many times, the, the accommodation process is a process. It's a two-way street or a dialogue. And what we often see is that that dialogue never occurs. Sometimes we have employees who make a request for accommodation and then refuse to provide any information in support of it. Sometimes they cite privacy laws as a reason for not disclosing any information, which the employer really does need in order to assess the need for accommodation and how they can accommodate. And conversely, sometimes employers will simply dismiss the request out of hand and say, we can't do that. We've never done it that way. It's too expensive. Etc. And neither of those approaches are acceptable in any way. If, if the employee refuses to participate, then the employer will, doesn't have to guess as to how to accommodate. And, and they'll essentially be relieved of their duty to accommodate. And we've seen cases to, on that point. And on the flip side, if the employer refuses to engage in the discussion and refuses to, to engage in any meaningful analysis of why accommodation would constitute undue hardship, i.e. providing analysis of the actual cost, they have failed to, failed to comply with their legal obligations and they'll face liability. I know it sounds self-serving, but this is a legal issue with significant consequences. We work with employees regularly to ensure that they pursue any request for accommodation strategically. And we also work with employers to ensure that they respond properly. So I encourage anyone who's in these situations to reach out to an employment lawyer. The bottom line is that the duty to accommodate involves both a substantive element and a procedural element. Both parties are expected to be part of the process. And if they don't, then they are risking liability or risking a situation where they can't enforce their rights. That's all for today. And that's also all the time that we have today for season five, episode five of Fire Away. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in. I want to say a very big and heartfelt thank you to Lauren McDonald for joining me today. I want to remind everybody that at Rudner Law, we want people to treat their employment relationships as legal relationships and make informed decisions rather than assumptions. I invite everyone to keep up to date on employment law issues by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, liking our Facebook page, 
subscribing to our YouTube channel, and also subscribing to our newsletter. And hopefully one day I will not be saying this anymore. We're making progress on the COVID front, but we still have issues to deal with. So please check out our COVID-19 Resource Center, which will talk about workplace-related COVID-19 issues. And as I always say, none of the information I mentioned a moment ago replaces legal advice tailored to your specific circumstances. If you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do. So feel free to reach out to us. A reminder, the past episodes can be found on YouTube, on our website, and archived on Facebook and LinkedIn. If you like our page or subscribe to our YouTube channel, you'll get notifications. Our next episode is going to be on July 19th. I'll be welcoming leadership coach Jennifer Block for a discussion on mastering difficult conversations and becoming conflict confident. So I'm very much looking forward to that discussion. But in the meantime, wish everyone a wonderful summer, which starts today. And I want to thank Rob, Rebecca, and Mark for helping put the show together as always. Thank you for tuning in. See you next time.